Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, Book 1, Chapter 25, about the zeal we ought to show in amending the whole course of our lives. You have to watch carefully and work hard if you are to serve God. Ask yourself all the time what you came here for. Why was it that you left the world behind? The idea was, surely, that you should live only for God and become a man of prayer. Set your heart then on making progress. It will not be long before the reward of your labors is granted you. No fears, no regrets after that, to invade your peace. Only a little effort is demanded of you now, and deep repose shall be yours, nay, eternal happiness. If you keep faith with God by working busily, never doubt that he will keep faith with you by rewarding you generously. Always cherish a well-grounded hope of attaining the prize. But don't let it make you careless. That will lead to slackness and self-conceit. There was a man once who was all fears at one moment and all hopes the next. And at last a day came when he threw himself down before one of the altars and thus gave expression to the thoughts of his mind. If I only knew that I was going to persevere. And all at once he heard the divine answer in his heart. Well, and if you did, what line of action would you propose to take? If you take that line of action now, you will feel cheerful enough. Consoled by those words, he took heart and resigned himself to God's will. And so all his troubles and flutterings came to an end. Gone those anxious speculations about the future. All he wanted to know was God's will. So satisfying, so perfect in its design. The only real motive for starting out on any holy purpose or going through with it. Trust in the Lord's mercies and do what is right. Cultivate the piece of ground he has given you, and all its riches shall be yours. So many people are kept back from spiritual growth and from tackling their faults in earnest by one single fault. Running away from difficulties. We don't like a tussle. And the plain fact is that the people who get ahead of their neighbors in the fight for spiritual advancement are precisely the people who launch an attack, just where the going is difficult, just where everything seems against them. Conquest of self, inward mortification, that's what wins your ground. That's what earns you fresh grace. True enough. In the race for self-conquest, we don't all start with the same handicap. 
but a man of strong passions, if he really tries hard, will be able to make more progress than a man of orderly habits, who is less ambitious for holiness. For a real amendment of life, you need two things above all. You must wean yourself away from the faults to which your nature is specially prone, and you must press on hard in pursuit of the good quality you most need. Habits to be avoided or corrected are the ones you are always criticizing in other people. You see, there's profit to be derived everywhere. When you see or hear about some good example, you can imitate it. When you notice some habit that deserves censure, you can avoid it. Or if you've already got it into yourself, be at pains to correct it as soon as possible. Meanwhile, if you've got a good eye for other people's faults, don't forget that they're watching you. How it does one good to come across a community that is really zealous, really devout, where the life is well ordered and the rule is kept. And what sight is so mournful, so depressing as the go-as-you-please community in which the work it was called to do gets left undone. Such a lot of harm is done by the people who lose sight of the intention for which they were founded and divert their energies to what is no business of theirs. Remind yourself of the undertaking to which you are committed, and then go and look at the crucifix. You've good reason to be ashamed, haven't you, when you think of the life Jesus Christ lived, all these years in religion, and so little attempt even now to make him your model. If he meditates on the holy life and passion of our Lord, any religious can find there all he needs, and more than he needs, for his soul's profit. He won't go back to look for a better subjects elsewhere. Jesus crucified. If only we could get that into our hearts, all the learning we need would be ours in no time. Lay what commands you will upon a religious who has his heart in it. He can stand anything, manage anything, easily enough. But a religious who has grown slack and lost interest is tormented both ways. No escape for him to right or left. He has no solace for his weariness within. And he's not allowed to look for it outside. A religious living beyond the reach of discipline is exposed to grave perils. The man who is always looking for relaxations of the rule will always be in difficulties, rebellious when they are refused, dissatisfied when he gets them. What kind of life is it they lead, all these other religious who are strictly bound to the discipline of the cloister? They seldom go out, they live retired, eat most sparingly, dress rough, work much, talk little, watch late, rise early, still at their prayers, still at their books, 
hedging themselves in all around with observance. See how the Carthusians, the Cistercians, and many other orders of men and women rise each night and sing their praises to God. Shame on you that you should lie abed at this sacred hour when such a multitude of religious are just setting about their caroling. How wonderful it would be if we had no duties at all except to lift up heart and voice in praise of our Lord God. If you never needed to eat or drink or sleep so that you could go on praising God with no leisure but for holy employment, how much happier you would be than you are now forced one way and another to look after your bodily needs. What a pity that we should have needs of this kind, should need anything except that spiritual refreshment which the soul tastes, but tastes, alas, too seldom. It's not till a man reaches the stage of refusing consolation from any created thing that he gets his first real taste of God. By that time, he has learned to be content, however things fall out. He won't be elated by big results or disappointed with small ones. In utter confidence, he takes his stand upon God, who is everything to him in every connection. The God for whom nothing is ever lost, nothing ever perishes to whom everything is alive, obeying instantly the least expression of his will. Keep on reminding yourself that life comes to an end and lost time never returns to us. You aren't going to form any good habits without taking trouble over it, working hard for it. The moment you begin to cool off, trouble starts. You must throw yourself into it wholeheartedly. Then you will experience great peace of mind, and all your labor will seem light. God's grace and the love of holy living will carry you along. Meanwhile, there's more hard work in it, this fight against your bad habits and your passions, than in the sweat of bodily exertion. The man who doesn't keep clear of petty faults will gradually slip into graver ones. A day spent profitably means an evening spent cheerfully. Watch yourself. Spur yourself on. Check yourself with a warning now and again. Whatever claims other people have on you, don't let your own soul suffer from neglect. The more constraint you put upon yourself, the more progress you will make. That is certain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angels of God, our guardians dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, crucified for us, have mercy on us. Saint Philip Neri, gentle God of youth, 
patron of thy own, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Francis de Sales has a wonderful analogy for the true Christian approach to the spiritual life. And it's very much connected to this whole book one we've just finished reading. St. Francis de Sales tells us to think of a little monkey in a jungle. He's going along and he comes before a huge snake and the monkey is terrified. He doesn't know what to do, he's frozen. And then suddenly he sees a branch up ahead and on his own strength, he jumps up and grabs the branch, pulls him to safety, himself to safety and escapes the dangerous snake. Then his little sister's coming along and the cobra's there and she's frozen. She can't do anything. And the snake is getting closer and she can't jump. She, and suddenly her mother swings down, grabs her, takes her to safety. In the first case, the little monkey did everything. He initiated his salvation. He jumped up, grabbed the branch. In the second, the little girl monkey does nothing. The mother does everything for her, saves her. Now the question is, in our salvation, in our Christian salvation, which of those is the right approach? Well, neither actually. The first case where the monkey does everything is a kind of heresy we call Pelagianism, in which human beings think that they make the first step towards God, that our salvation is first and foremost about our effort. The girl monkey, well, she's another heresy, classical Protestantism, in which God does everything, and we contribute nothing. Well, what's the Catholic view? Well, Francis de Sales says there's this little bird called an apode. And the apode, whether it exists or not, Francis de Sales talks about it. It may be mythical, but it's a very wonderful example. It's perfect. The apode has little legs tiny legs. It's kind of a fat little bird. And it cannot flap its wings unless there's wind. And it cannot fly unless there's wind because its legs are too small for its body. So it can't run unless it starts to get some wind behind it. And when the wind comes, it can flap. It can flap. And then once it starts flapping, it starts to move and the legs get going a little, little distance from the ground. And suddenly if the wind is going and it flaps, it can fly. As long as the wind is there, he's flying. As long as he's flapping his wings, he's flying. Do you see, both are required for the, for the opode to fly. And if the opode's gonna get away from the snake, he's gotta have the wind and then he's gotta make an effort. But what's primary? The wind. If there's no wind, there's no way he could begin to move. And so the Catholic view is that human effort is essential to salvation. 
The God who made you without you, St. Augustine says, will not save you without you. But human effort is always a response to God's primary gift of grace. And so over and over again in this book one, Thomas Akempis has been stressing both aspects. The primacy of God's grace, his charity, our need to beg, our need not to make resolutions as though we can on our own complete them. And that as though our resolutions, our will, will on its own be very successful. No, what's primary is the, the breath of the Holy Spirit, the grace of the Holy Spirit. But then, as we see in tonight's reading, there will be no holiness without effort. There will be no holiness without taking trouble, about working hard. There's no room in the Catholic faith to think that there's no need for effort. No, we have to try. We have to work hard. And what is the primary effort required? Saying no to ourselves, constraining ourselves, holding ourselves back, working against our bad habits, trying to go for that very quality that we most need. But all the time we're making this effort, we're working hard, we should not be discouraged, we should not feel isolated, because God's grace is urging us on. If we are searching for God, John of the Cross says, then God is already searching for us more. We did not love God first. He loved us first and sent his son as the expiation for our sins. When we were at enmity with God, when we were not friends with God, God the Son died for us on the cross. His gift, his love, his offer of friendship, the sacrifice of his life, that is the reason we have any spiritual good. He loves us first. He offers himself for us. And then in the Eucharist, he shares his life, his love, his willpower, his courage. He gives it to us so that then we can follow in his footsteps. We're like Simon of Cyrene. We're helping him carry his cross. Simon really did contribute something. Veronica really did wipe his face. Men and women are called to serve the Lord. But we serve him because he loved us first. And so tonight, let us take comfort on this Good Friday. Let us take comfort that if we could do it all on our own, like that boy little monkey, Jesus never would have died for us. And if it was all left to God and we didn't have to do anything, he wouldn't have taken so much trouble to set such a wonderful example for us and to suffer all this so we would have a good example. No, no, we can't save ourselves. But in Christ and through Christ, we can do great good in the Lord. We can make great progress in the spiritual life. 
and by his mercy, by his death on the cross, we and many others together with us can rise from our sins and enter eternal life. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.